You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Greetings, group of great groovy grinners. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 19. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen. And we are your nimble and nifty neighbors from the net nuts for narwhals. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to run out of these alliterations pretty soon. Send in your alliterations now, friends. (laughs) I'm Colin. I'm Dana. I'm Chris. I'm joking about running out of alliterative intros. No, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm running out of these. And what I do is I go to thesaurus.com. I kind of yeah. look at there are a only bunch so words. many words. You're yeah. all you're allowed to repeat if they yeah yeah. I, I think I've repeated some, but also on thesaurus.com and dictionary.com they have a fun word of the day mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So this one caught my eye, and it was inspired by Justin Bieber, who admitted mm-hmm. that he liked to do this activity, which is glamping. What? G-L-A-M-P-I-N-G. This is like glamping. planking. He likes to glamp. <laughs> yeah. What's glamp. that? What is that? Glamping is a portmanteau word of glamorous camping. And it is <laughs> oh. now defined as a form of camping in which participants enjoy physical comforts associated with more luxurious types of holiday. And uh, I also looked at some other words, word of the days. And one of them is, as we know, Saturday Night Live is kind of the culmination of improv comedy. A lot of comedians and, and comedy actors came from improv group. One of the notable improv comedy troops in America is the one in LA called the Groundlings. Right, right. A lot of SNL. Do we know what a Groundling actually is? I always thought it was like like a woodchuck or I like thought a, the ground, I thought the groundlings. I thought it was like birds. No, I thought the groundlings were the. Um, uh, this this may be another metaphorical usage of it, but in Shakespearean plays, like the groundlings were the were they the people who sat way towards the front of the stage, or were they couldn't it, afford a seat? Like that? They were on the ground. Yeah, yes. yeah. is that it? Oh. Right. Good job. Okay. Wow, you guys work together. It is a person who used to go to the Globe Theater to watch Shakespearean plays in the early 17th century, basically too poor. For a seat. And mm-hmm. so they would sit be on the, on the ground. ground. Sit on the ground. Stand mm-hmm. on the ground. Chris, you actually looked up another word earlier today. It was for nerf. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah I just thought it was a brand name. Right, right, right. No, apparently the word uh, nerf, I was reading about nerf toys, and the word uh, came from, like, hot rod racing. To nerf somebody was to bump your car into their car in an effort to, like, knock them out or spin them out. Yeah, oh, so that's that's, that's where they took the word from. Yeah, where they came up with the word nerf. Who knows? <laughs> they, well, the, yeah, the, maybe somebody knows, but the source didn't go back that far. Right. We want to feature another question from one of our listeners who have questions actually specifically for us. Jonathan Houston on Facebook asked, do you guys do a ton of research beforehand? Yes. 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 Next question. Yes, we do. (laughs) I would say just to elaborate a little bit, yes, we do. And we do, I think I speak for all of us, we always try to verify what we're talking about. Yeah. Multiple sources. It's We're not just go to Wikipedia and see what it says or yeah. And actually, you know, the important thing is checking some of the Wikipedia sources because, you know, they source it, but the source material might be someone's blog. You're right. like, wait a minute. Right. right. We're not, yeah. we're not that smart, but we, <laughs> we just, we just take joy in finding out crazy things and then regurgitating them back to each other. A lot of people don't know this, but Chris can't read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all, he only learns through regurgitation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's jump into our general trivia segment. Pop quiz hot shot. 
get your barnyard buzzers ready, and I have a trivial pursuit card. Um, all right, Blue Wedge Geography. In what country might you enjoy as a delicacy a corn fungus called Quetlacoche? Mexico. Correct. And I want to explain this a little bit. This is one of those things. This is on my list of uh, things that you should not Google image search. <laughs> because it's basically a fungus that infects corn and turns these kernels into like elephant man-ish giant oh, bumpy kernels and, and black. Delicious. So you, you scrape it off or it's 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 embedded in the corn? It's affected okay, the, the okay. kernels inside wow. themselves. And it kind of looks moldy kind of looks it looks like evil corn like if there was like a like a satan possessed corn it would look like this you're right Frank, it does Frank corn mm -hmm. does. yeah frankencorn Frank. all right pop culture pink wedge what superhero shares a name with a popular black sabbath song iron man correct <laughs> that question was so easy i couldn't even do it yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like what? Is, it, is it a trick question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Yellow Wedge. The birthday of what American patriot is now celebrated as National Handwriting Day? Dana. John Hancock? Yep. Oh. oh. Nice I, I love how he signed the one. Constitution. It's totally like the most legible name. Yeah. It looks like right, right. a big, huge name. Yeah. Purple Wedge. Of the Rolling Stone 500 greatest songs of all time, what is the only song not performed in English? Oh. Oh. Uh, it must be La Bamba. Correct. Uh. Oh. Sorry, I got I got thought I was seeing about like wait the 500 greatest songs by the band Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Rolling Stones. Oh, oh yeah, God. me too. I'm happy you didn't say Macarena because that was my first answer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been terrible right. if that made their top 500 list. They would have a lot of explanation. <laughs> Green wedge for science. What naturally occurring chemicals flood the brain to cause runners high? Is that dopamines? Incorrect. <gasps> Are they looking for endorphins? Correct. Endorphins. Oh. Orange wedge, last question. And this is one of the picture ones, so I rewrote this question. What is the name of the game in which players use broom-shaped paddles to push weighted pucks, sending them gliding down a narrow and elongated court? Shuffleboard. Correct. Mm. So it was yeah. a picture of people doing shuffleboard. It's like, what oh, is this? what is this? <laughs> Good job, brains. Let's jump into our topic of the week. And, you know, I, I would have to say of all of our episodes, definitely the food ones are the most popular. Oh, yeah. Um, we had hmm. our, our big junk food show, um, our bizarre expensive food show, very popular. So now we have breakfast foods. All right. The most yeah. important meal of the day. Well, if it's breakfast, then let me ask you this question. Riddle me Where, this. Riddle me this. <laughs> Where am I if I am breakfasting with an aristocratic nobleman, a reanimated human, a preserved human body, a werewolf, and a specter? Uh, I, uh, 
Alright, so I know what you're getting imagine, at. Yeah, like Count Chocula, <laughs> Frankenberry. Yeah. Okay, keep naming them. The, the Booberry is it? Oh Boo-berry. right, right. Booberry. Two more. Um. Oh, the what's the mummy one? Or oh, the what is the mummy one? That is an excellent question. Now we have arrived at the uh, <laughs> at the most obscure of the General Mills monster serial mascots. We have Count Chocula. Booberry, Frankenberry. Frankenberry. I, I don't know. A werewolf and a preserved human body. Mummy clusters? No. <laughs> not, mummy clusters would be great. It's Yummy Mummy. Yummy oh, Mummy. Possibly of later course. Christmas too. I think Fruity Yummy Mummy. But Yummy Mummy. And Colin, you must know the last one. Oh, man. It's a werewolf. I, uh, it's a discontinued cereal. Lupine Loops. It's, oh, whoa. That's good. That would be good. That would be good. It is, in fact, Fruit Brute. Fruit Brute, yes! I do remember Fruit Brute. Uh, beloved by filmmaker Quentin Tarantino and yes! referenced in several of his films. Now, okay, so let's have a serial mascot quiz. Yay! <laughs> According to the official website, and that is going to be our, our arbiter on this one, okay. our okay. official piece of information, but according, and I looked this up to the official website, yeah. how many times has the Trix rabbit actually gotten to eat a bowl oh. of Trix? Colin. I'm going to say twice. You are correct. Here is the language from the website. Foiled repeatedly since 1957, the Trix rabbit eventually tasted tricks in 1976 and 1980 following box top voting campaigns. They asked kids, should the Trix rabbit get tricks? And kids, thankfully... Voted yes. I have to say, like, as a kid, I never understood why he was not allowed to have Yeah. Him. They would give it to... He would dress up in disguises. He would yeah. be like, hey, kids, I'm a friendly <laughs> local neighborhood fireman. Can I have your tricks? They'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. Here you go. Whoever you are, I'm a house painter. Can I have your tricks? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. House Painter, who we don't know from Adam, who just walked into our house and is talking to us, even though we're small children. Sure, share our cereal. <laughs> the second they find out he's a rabbit, they don't want to give him... If a talking rabbit came into my house, they're like, yeah, take care. Have everything. This is a rabbit who can speak yeah, English whatever. and drive a car. Yeah. 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 And dress up. It's like, and you want to hang out with us? That's great. I don't get it. But yeah, twice, technically. Now, of course, in the older commercials, he would have a bite of tricks and eat it and swallow crazy. it. And then they'd take it away from him. So mean. Yeah. yeah. He was given the ball and been allowed to enjoy himself, but twice. They call him names, too. Sil- silly Rabbit. Oh, my God. It's yeah. so patronizing. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Um, Arrange these Lucky Charms marshmallows oh, in the order... Man. In the order in which they were introduced into the cereal. Okay, okay, okay. 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 Purple horseshoes, pink hearts, blue diamonds. Okay. Carrot. Uh, Hearts, I believe, is one of the original shapes. So I would say hearts, purple horseshoes, diamonds. Incorrect. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am almost positive that the horseshoes were the last to be introduced on that list. Diamonds were the first. I would say diamonds, hearts, horseshoes. Also incorrect. Dana Dana gets the chance to steal. (laughs) Hearts, diamonds, horseshoes? Indeed, yes. Pink pink hearts were part of the original batch of Lucky Charms in 1962. Blue diamonds were introduced in 1975, and purple horseshoes came in in 1984. What popular cereal brand added these two new flavors in 2012? The flavors being peanut butter... And dulce de leche. Oh, I oh. carrot Cheerios. Yes, that's right. I yes, uh, yeah. dulce de leche Cheerios also added in 2012, and multi-grain peanut butter Cheerios. The first ever singing radio commercial, in effect, the first ever jingle, was performed for what 
cereal in 1926. Let me read you the jingle with the name of the cereal blanked out. Okay. Have you tried blank? Their <laughs> whole wheat with all of the bran. Won't you try blank? For wheat is the best food of man. Karen? <laughs> Raisin bran. No. Dana? Shredded wheat? No. What Colin? Is- Sports guy. Oh, Wheaties. Oh. Yeah. Wheaties. Who was the first athlete ever pictured on a Wheaties box? Oh, man. It was in 1934. Was it uh, uh, Johnny Weissmuller? Not quite. Who was that? Yeah, he played Tarzan, and he was also an Olympic swimmer. Oh, okay. okay. No, the first athlete ever pictured on a Wheaties box was Lou Gehrig. Oh, okay. Who was the first woman athlete ever pictured on the front of a Wheaties box? Dana. Mary Lou Retton? Yes, man. Mary Lou Retton in 1984. It it certainly did, yes. Who holds the record for the most appearances on a Wheaties box? Looks like Karen. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Who who is second place? Oh, Tiger Woods? It is. In fact, Tiger Woods is second place. Nice job. All of these cereals that we've just talked about, what do they have in common? Loads of sugar. <laughs> Besides that. Carbs. Besides the fact that they're cereal. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Come General on. Mills. They are General all Mills. General Mills cereals, yes. Mm. Wow, that was good. That I'm was hungry. Good. I totally I want some cereal I now. I know, I know. Talking about breakfast foods always makes you want breakfast foods no matter what time of day it is. <laughs> I want to ask you something in return, Chris. Okay, let me uh, get this so buzzer ready. Do you know what is Captain Crunch's full name? He has a full name. Uh, can I guess? Sure. Is, is there a Cornelius in there? Cornelius. That's what I wanted to say too. <laughs> Cornelius is actually the name of the cornflakes rooster. Oh, oh right. <laughs> it is no. Horatio Magellan <laughs> Crunch. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Captain Crunch, very, very delicious. It, the oh, flavor man. was really of of the squares, not the berries, but just of the of the usual squares. What is the flavor of Captain Crunch? It's supposed to be. Brown butter and sugar. Hmm. It does very it was, sweet. It yeah. was inspired by like an old timey. And it's recipe. one of the yeah. corn based ones, right? That's why it's so delicious. There's some interesting revolutionary technology associated with Captain Crunch, actually. And you know, we would say Captain Crunch is one of the the best tasting cereals because oh, yeah. of you know the sweetness and, and very crunchy. Other cereals they have powdered sugar or flavoring with dusted flavor mm. and, and whatnot. And so when Captain Crunch came out, it was one of the first cereals that that used oil based flavoring interesting and that's why it is it is very very delicious it is and uh (laughs) captain crunch also in a report released in 2009 at yale gave captain crunch crunch berries edition the worst nutritional score of any cereal <laughs> marketed to families awesome. and children. But yeah, it's because it's like, it's like fat and sugar, right? I mean, exactly. It's like, yeah. Oil, oh, flavor, sugar, and crunchy. And that's it's why it's delicious. so delicious. Yeah. That's no, why no, it is. That's the best, yeah. Do you guys know what crunch mouth is? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, like that, that, I, that must be the phenomenon. Captain Crunch, in my mind, is also known as the worst offender of shredding the roof of your mouth. Oh. You eat, like you finish a bowl, or if you're like me, four bowls of cereal right, yeah, and then yeah. it, it feels like someone took a piece of sandpaper to the roof of my mouth yeah oh, no there's a technique for eating it you have to suck all of the milk out of each piece of captain crunch and then it's soft enough to crunch oh. that's, the, that's the secret to not getting crunch mouth when you eat you should have asked me i should i didn't know it was a special skill but no. i have some other interesting breakfast food trivia too do you guys know what frothle is <laughs> <laughs> it sounds frothle. Frothle. it sounds like fried waffle 
Oh, I was going to say, like, if the Fraggles opened a waffle shop. It's like oh. a falafel waffle. Froffle. F-R-O-F-F-L-E-S. It is a portmanteau word. Frozen waffle. Will you eat waffle? two? Correct. Frozen oh. waffles. It is the official name of Eggos before they became oh. Eggos. It was the name of frozen waffles <laughs> marketed and sold. That's Froffles. horrible, yeah. Right. This totally, it sounds Eggos like better. one of those marketing meetings where they went with the first idea they had. Yeah, sure. Well, frozen waffle, F frothle, done. Yep. <laughs> What's it's next? A, it's a it's cute just, fun it's word. It's Mad Men era. They're all drunk. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. <laughs> And uh, basically, people were, were eating froffles, and, and it oh. tasted eggy, so people started calling them eggos, mm. and it kind of caught on, in my opinion, a much better name than froffle. Oh, yeah. No so doubt. they officially changed the froffle name to eggos. Speaking of waffles, do you guys know what the difference is between American waffles and Belgian waffles? Is it the mm. height? Like, Belgian waffles I, yeah, tend I, to be tall. In terms was, of ingredients. I, oh, 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 okay. oh, yeah. I thought it was just I the always, size I always of the thought squares. it was the Belgian waffles had the big sort of indents in them that you could fill up with syrup and melted butter. That They were yeah. kind of like tortilla shells for taco stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a vehicle, really, just yeah. for oh, butter yes, and syrup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah syrup delivery <laughs> it's, it's a dish that you can also eat. <laughs> so this is a good trivia question. In American waffles, it's leavened with baking powder. And in Belgian waffles, it is leavened with yeast. Oh. And so Belgian waffles Whoa. actually taste more bready. bready. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, I, if I've gone to like, you know, a Holiday Inn Express and used their Belgian waffle maker, but it's actually just like American waffles with baking yeah, powder it, it in really it. Yeah, it really is the batter. So not, I'm not really yeah. eating Belgian waffles. No. Not a good, style. It good, is not is not the hardware. <laughs> it is basically the dough. You know, it's funny. Today I looked up Belgian waffles because I went out to brunch with some people and the waitress insisted that Belgian waffles come with whipped cream and strawberries. We're like, huh, I didn't know that about Belgian waffle. That's what a Belgian waffle is. It right. comes with all this fruit. She is wrong. She, was wrong. she was wrong. We didn't correct her, though. She's bringing our food. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Again, those big indents. You can fill it with saliva. Yeah. And with you spit. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up Aunt Jemima, and I don't know if you remember uh, those bottles that oh, yeah. shaped like a lady. Like, like kind of like a slave lady, to be honest. Yeah, like from the- she was... Aunt Jemima is the company that makes syrup and pancakes. It's or pancakes. pancakes. Yeah, pancake syrup, and yeah, and then she's the little picture of her on on the on the bottle. Yeah, never seen this before. So Aunt Jemima's shape is a little bit controversial. So this company formed in 1889. It was after the Civil War, after slavery, but they they decided they were trying to figure out a way to get rid of all this flour. There was a big flour glute, and so they were like, oh, we'll put it in plain white packages and sell it as pancake batter. But they they needed a hook, and so one of the founders went to a minstrel show, like a vaudeville minstrel show, and he saw this. It was really a white man in blackface dressed up as this character called Aunt Jemima. There was a song called Aunt Jemima. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, that's a perfect spokesperson for the pancake batter. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up getting a woman named um, Nancy Green, and she was a former slave, and she was the face of Aunt Jemima pancakes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, from 1890 to 1923 when she died. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Did and- she get paid? Yeah, yeah. She okay. got <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how much. I don't know. <laughs> There may or may not have been exploitation involved in the yeah, relationship, yeah. but but yeah, she was. But somebody was actually modeled on a real person. It wasn't just they picked her because she looked like the white man in blackface mm-hmm. from the yeah. Weird. So she was the spokesperson for like thirty years. It got bought by the Quaker Company. A few years later, they got another Aunt Jemima to be the person. And so if you see her, it's a it's a woman, a black woman, and she's wearing a handkerchief on her head, and she's wearing an apron. Very homey, homey, but but it's based Friendly. on a slave stereotype. Right, it's right. based on the mammy stereotype. Right, exactly. And 
And so on the 100th anniversary of Aunt Jemima, on, or 1989, they changed her image. They took the handkerchief off her head and they gave her pearl earrings and like a nice... A nice little hairdo. Nice and little she's hairdo. in like a, like, a, like a suit. Right, right. And I remember yeah. that was a big deal of them moving away from sort of the mammy imagery, which had always been yeah. anywhere from mildly to outright offensive, depending on... It was on, explicit. They yes, it, on it was. Purpose. It really yeah. was. And, and, and it wasn't authentic. But I like how it sort of made the twist of here, you know, here's the woman who might be preparing your pancakes yeah. to she is buying it for herself and her own family. I mean, there's sort of the, the shift behind the mm. scenes of what that imagery or means. Or she's the person who yeah. owns this company. Yeah, exactly. She's the, the business yeah, owner. She's not. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so now their website talks about how like mothers from all sorts of diverse backgrounds want to take care of their families and they serve. So yeah. So it's, it's like, how do they how do they take the existing name Aunt Jemima and spin it? Like, why is this called? this if if it's not like a house like, slave but when i was a little kid i you know those frangelico bottles it's the picture mm. of the monk like i used to try to make him marry <laughs> 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 no it makes total sense yeah. you had they have so much in common they're made of glass we're both yeah. hollow yeah, exactly. we're both glass right, right, right. <laughs> well, let's stop denying our I true know. destiny traffic jams tailgating pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. We started off the top of the segment talking about all the cereals and the General Mills. And, you know, certainly there are like sort of the big three in terms of cereals, right? You got your General Mills, Post, mm -hmm. and Kellogg's. I yes. think we would probably agree. Kellogg himself was was a pretty interesting character. John Harvey Kellogg, he was a Seventh-day Adventist doctor, physician. And he, he really was on a mission to just sort of save everyone's souls through healthy living. He thought the two greatest evils in the world were eating meat and mm -hmm. masturbation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that these were <laughs> the, the causes. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, presumably one led to the other, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the meat turns you on. <laughs> so in 1876, John Kellogg uh, basically took over control of a of a health institute in Battle Creek, Michigan, which was sort of upstate in the country. And there were a number of these sanatoriums and restful places at the time. And so he took over and started running a lot of his own bizarre beliefs. Belief. There you go. Beliefs. He didn't have a lot of scientific backing for a lot of his no. therapies, but they were incredibly popular. And it was a very upscale place where you would come to sort of recuperate and whatever was ailing you. So you would stay there for days or weeks or months at a time. You it's know? like vacation. It was it's, kind it was of like a vacation. people vacation. And it was. I mean, it, it really was very high class. I mean, uh, Teddy Roosevelt stayed there and John Rockefeller stayed there. So he was hmm. catering to a pretty upscale, you know. Oh, I also have more uh, celebrities who, who Oh, who really? Stayed. Yeah. Amelia Earhart. Ah. Henry Ford. Mary 
Todd Lincoln, Abe Lincoln's wife. That, so there you go. I mean, really def- the upper crust of society at the time. So, you know, he had a lot of these treatments. You know, if you were underweight, one of the regimens was up to 26 meals a day. What? You were confined to your bed. And his, his reasoning was, if you're underweight, you can't afford to expend a single <laughs> calorie. You were So you were confined yeah. to your bed fed, they had attendants who would brush your teeth, just so you would not be expending the physical effort to brush your teeth. Hmm. He was just kind of crazy, but he had some other good things, too. He was one of the first places to introduce yogurt. He had the Bulgarian milk preparation known as yogurt, and really helped huh. popularize yogurt as a health food. There might be rumors, and this is not really proven or disproven, but some of the yogurt is for eating. And uh, some of the yogurt is used to put in your butt. In your, wait. <laughs> How do you keep wait, the two what? straight? Yeah, John Harvey Kellogg. He he did a lot of you know healthy things, right? Definitely go out, take a bike ride, yeah. some fresh right. air, fresh air, right? Um, mm-hmm. No and, alcohol, no yeah. Mm-hmm. And he described uh, his sanitarian system as quote a composite physiologic method comprising hydrotherapy use of water, jacuzzi tubs, and also uh, up your butt as well, Mm -hmm. phototherapy, which is light, thermotherapy, electrotherapy, which we're getting a little bit crazy, mechanotherapy, which is kind of exercising, moving around, dietetics, physical culture, cold air cure, and health training. I mean, and you know, then as now, things that were exotic, a lot of people was like, oh, it must be Mm -hmm. good. It's exotic. Mm -hmm. And he was wildly successful running it. he definitely was a big proponent of things up your butt colonics and enemas colonics he and really enemas. was yeah. he, he was obsessed with the idea of perfecting a breakfast cereal and he, he you know there are a lot of stories about exactly how he created it and we even talked about this in episode 4 of uh, the podcast actually it, it's a little murky exactly how much was accidental versus intentional but he really was on a mission to create a, a healthy breakfast cereal so, so he would boil some wheat roll it out bake it and then flake it and serve it and it was a very popular <laughs> very popular dish in, in his sanatorium, patients who uh, he served... Not up the butt. <laughs> not up the butt, okay. yes. Not up the butt. Just to clarify. Talk about crunch mouth. <laughs> My goodness. Crunch butt. One of the patients uh, who was at his sanatorium who he served the flakes to was a young man named C.W. Post. Wow. Yep. It is the same Post, in fact, who went on to found Post cereals. He left and really was like, this is great. I, he saw dollar signs. He's like, I, we need to sell this. People are going to buy this. This is going to be awesome. Kellogg really wanted no part of it. He didn't want to license the recipe. He just wasn't interested in kind of cashing in. And Post, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, was basically like, all right, well, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. A lot of imitators, I guess, sprung up in and around Battle Creek, Michigan, cranking out cereals. And they were really popular. And th- they were all marketed as health foods. You know, this wasn't like a, a breakfast treat. It was something like whole grains. And they had names like Food of Eden and Corn Cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's with two Ks, by the way. Oh. Um, <laughs> sometimes they would even just go outright ripoff there was also grip nuts <laughs> trying to catch it on well you have to nuts. keep in mind before breakfast cereals what did people eat the rich people ate eggs and meat and right. fat and exactly. the poor people ate gruel or grains that you have to cook and labor and just stew over them for hours yeah, and hours and hours and so this was a giant revolution in how people ate things it was fast and it was healthy but one of the things uh that post included in every pack of grape nuts was a little leaflet 
entitled The Road to Wellville. And many of you may remember that there was a movie named yes. The Road to Wellville, no, 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 and which horrible. is which was based on a lot of these real life events, based on Kellogg and Post. Kellogg eventually, eventually got into the business himself, but way after a lot of the other ones. Uh. Uh, his first cereal was uh, cornflakes, which he came out with in 1907. So, like Colin said, that the Battle Creek Health Facility was pioneered by. John Harvey Kellogg. Most people know there are two Kellogg brothers. There's John Harvey Kellogg and also his brother, W.K. Kellogg. And W.K. Kellogg is more of the business partner. To go back to talking about Post, when they started making the flake cereal, you know, John Harvey Kellogg, grandpapa yeah. of the sanitarium, he's basically like, anybody who's interested can see how we make this process. And his brother, W.K. Kellogg, was like, hold on a second. We <laughs> might be able to market this. Hey, let's keep it a secret. But John Harvey's like, no, everybody should. He see was it. an idealist. Yeah, he, he really, was. Yeah. And so this is how C.W. Post saw how they made this type of cereal and oh. went off and started his own company. So W.K. Kellogg really had a smart for marketing, for selling. He is the mastermind behind putting the toy in cereal oh. boxes. And what a brilliant idea. Yeah. And so in 1945, the, the first form of, and you know, we have a lot of different cereal toy types, right? There's like the mail-aways and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. one, I don't even know what kind of crazy technology ones they have now with QR codes and point system. But the first in-box cereal toy is for pep cereal, Kellogg's Pep. The toy itself, you know, if they do this today, they probably would get sued. They're basically <laughs> pinback button. They're like, you know, oh. I wonder how many kids ate it. (laughs) Or how many kids stabbed themselves. Very cute pinback buttons in each box of Pep cereal. The pins, I think there are about like maybe 90 different designs. And most of them are like army squadrons. Hurrah, hurrah, America. And some of them were newspaper comics, like The Phantom and mm-hmm. Superman and Felix the Cat. And it was it was 1945, and they had these pinback buttons until 1947. Other companies follow suit yep. and was like, yep. wait a minute, let's put toys in the box too. But I wonder if he was copying Cracker Jack. Oh, I don't know. Because I think that was no, like 1912 was, yeah. when Cracker Jack started. Oh. I, I believe it was definitely inspired by the Cracker Jack. Between the turn of the century when cereals were really a health food thing, and as you say, by the time we get to the 30s, 40s and there, they had seen this whole market of, hey, kids can yeah, buy these yeah. and we can market to children. The first cereal, inbox cereal toys were pins. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids, can... sharp yeah. objects. Yay. <laughs> I went on eBay uh-huh. and I wanted to see if people still had them or sell them because I want to see some pictures of I them. I was going to ask yeah. you, yeah, what yep. these go for? And I ended up spending a whole bunch of money buying some of those <laughs> classic pins. They're cool. I mean, they're just normal little pins, but it, it just looks so retro and on the back, on the metal, actually does say Kellogg's Pep. That's awesome. It's very, very cool. cool. And you can buy, I think, as of last night, the whole set of 90 is a little bit under $400. So not bad. That's that's actually not as outrageous as I would have guessed. For the first inbox cereal type of We should put some pictures up on the website once you get them. And I actually have more drama on uh, Kellogg versus Post. Oh, yeah. In the form of the Pop-Tart. 
(laughs) Years later, they're still at it, Kellogg versus Post. So Post adapted a a new process of enclosing food in foil to keep it fresh, Uh. right? They first used it for dog food, (laughs) (laughs) but then they modified it and they're going to start using for this new breakfast food they were coming out with. And it's like the new toaster prepared food, very quick and easy for the family with the toaster. And so they announced that they're making this new product in 1963 telling the press they they even have a really nice name it's called country squares they revealed country squares before it was ready (laughs) and so kellogg was like toaster pastries huh in six months kellogg developed their own yep their own toaster pastry called pop tart it was aimed for the family, but mo- still kind of more skewed towards kids. And right. they had like little animated characters yeah. to kind of sell it. It became super, super popular. And actually, the original Pop Tart didn't have frosting. Ah, it was all huh. inside. It the was thing. just, it was kind of like a plain pastry with stuff mm-hmm. in it, mostly because they haven't developed the type of frosting that, that won't can just melt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sitting up against a heat or, or catch on fire. Isn't yeah. It? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, but later they finally found a frosting frosting recipe or develop a formula that could withstand the toaster heat. <laughs> wow. Space age polymers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it's Country Squares come out? Country Squares did come out and they, they renamed it a couple times. Other companies also jumped in too, just like the cereal craze, right, like right. Toastables, Toastum, like all kind of variations uh, of Pep-tarts. toast. Pep-tarts. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had this entire show so far and we've talked about, I think, most of the major staples of breakfast foods from cereal to pancakes to waffles to eggs and sauce sausage to pop tarts now we have not discussed my favorite favorite breakfast food which i actually don't Yogurt. really eat anymore no mm-hmm. we about, for health reasons don't really eat that much anymore but when i feel like being bad essentially the thing that i gravitate towards is a bagel with cream cheese oh. my absolute favorite you know if you get a really delicious bagel crunchy <laughs> crunchy on the outside chewy on the inside cream cheese over the entire thing and you are a native east coaster i am in fact an east coaster so i did not understand that like i was growing up with like delicious bagels and that they didn't actually technically have them you know elsewhere and so it was very much a again um uh as i mentioned on our bathroom episode i lived in japan for two years and those two years were very difficult to like (laughs) find you could not find a place in japan that will that will serve you they will find places that have bagels you will find places that have cream cheese, but to find a place that will, like, get a bagel <laughs> and toast it and serve it with cream cheese is, is huh, very what rare. They just put on has not there? gone over there. They just eat them, I think. Oh. I don't really know. I don't really know what they do. I've never watched a Japanese person eat a bagel. I decided I wanted to research bagels and just figure some stuff out. The first thing that I read was, I so this this sentence as of this recording was extant on Wikipedia. And this, <laughs> this, this I really wanted to read out, out loud. Contrary to common legend, the bagel was not created in the shape of a stirrup to commemorate the victory of Poland's King Jan III Sobieski over the Ottoman Turks in the Battle of Vienna in 1684. Oh, damn it! I want you guys to just put that right out of your head. That, that, that common legend that we've all heard so many times. That trope. Yes, that old, that old canard. Um, if I have to hear one more time about, about stirrup-shaped bagels. Um, now, that said, bagels are in fact traditionally 
oblong. They're not circular. So as far as anybody can tell, bagels were probably invented in Poland, came to New York City by way of Jewish immigrants. Mm -hmm. The other hotbed of bagel activity, as I found it, is is Montreal. 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 See, I didn't actually know this until I started doing this research. Oh, Montreal. Well, they they also have a big Jewish immigrant community with bagels. What makes them special is really the the preparation. I mean, yes. they're, they're shaped by the preparation. Mainly, bagels are boiled first mm-hmm. right. in, in a water baked. solution and uh-huh. then baked. Mm-hmm. What makes Montreal bagels different is basically Montreal bagels, they are boiled in water, but the water is a special solution that has honey in it. Ooh. So it's honey water. They're loosely shaped into a into a circle, but not perfect. Baked in a wood fire oven. Oh, that sounds good. So there's a little bit of sooty on the bottom. It's kind of charred, but just very that sounds earthy. delicious. It is. It is so good. So versus so, American, right. Went, right? So here's the thing. So Jewish immigrants went to Montreal and went to New York City. How did bagels explode from there? So it all. So it begins with Harry Lender, born at the turn of the century. He grew Wait, up that in, name, in that Lender's bagels. Lender's, you've seen Lender's bagels in the freezer section of your supermarket like supermarkets sell fresh bagels and supermarkets sell packaged bagels that are in the bread aisle but lenders bagels predominantly are in the freezer so he had his family in poland but you know increasing anti-semitism in the early part of the 20th century uh caused him to first leave his family and come to new jersey and then once things got better sent for his family and brought them over he had made bagels in poland and started working in a, a bakery in Passaic, new jersey and uh Saved his money, and this is the interesting thing, I had absolutely no idea, established his bagel bakery, his own bakery, after a year in New Haven, Connecticut, the city right outside of which I grew up in. At that time, bagels in the U.S. This is the you know the twenties, thirties were a local ethnic right. food. It was an ethnic uh, food. <laughs> yeah, he. This was the first bagel bakery in New Haven because he kind of called ahead. You know, we went to New Haven and he talked to people who ran stores and whatever, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we'll buy bagels from you because there's nobody here that actually even makes them." Mm. And so they were traditionally, you know, they were eaten on Sundays uh, in the Jewish community. So he went to New Haven, brought his family to New Haven. By the 1960s, the Lender family makes a name for themselves in New Haven. Everybody knows who they are. They're very popular. But by everybody, I mean the Jewish community. Right. Because even by the 1960s, if you were like an Italian-American living in New Haven, you know, uh, enjoying the pizza pie, which had, again, like, not originated in New Haven, but like New Haven was one of the hotbeds of pizza activity in like the (laughs) 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, when, again, people around the rest of the country did not know what a pizza pie was, right? Yeah. But if you were a member of that Italian-American community in New Haven, you, you did not necessarily eat bagels because they were a Jewish mm-hmm. food enjoyed mm-hmm. by Jewish families on Sundays. And you you had to buy them in Jewish bakeries and you just didn't go there. So what they came up with was freezing bagels. And apparently at first, okay, so they ate them on Sundays, right? And they were selling thousands of bagels on Sunday. So what what was happening was they were doing nothing during the week <laughs> and then going nuts on Saturday to make fresh bagels. So apparently for, for like two years, oh. they were freezing bagels during the week, thawing them out. Selling them on and not telling, not telling people anyone, right. that they weren't. No, people didn't. People didn't notice. Once they could start kind of 
putting them into like plastic bags, one of the new inventions, the plastic bag, then they could start selling them into supermarkets. And again, people didn't know what they were. So lenders had to get the, the, the frozen product out to supermarkets. And then educate um, people about it. The Lenders Bagels Bakery is credited for taking bagels from local ethnic food to something that is enjoyed around the world. Again, a triumph of marketing, uh, like Kellogg's, yeah. um, you know, and like like Post, you know, just like having that seed of inspiration, like to take this little thing and, and make it big. You know, the thing is, there is no legal definition of like what a bagel is in the United States. So any, um, <laughs> any, uh, I think, I believe it's called a Taurus, T-O-R-U-S, of bread. Ring. Cylinder wrapped into a ring. Yeah, exactly. Any bread Taurus, right? You can just call it a bagel. But really, I mean, there's there's special things with the dough and the process and the boiling and things like that, yeah. Oh, my God. Who's getting hungry? <laughs> I think we have to go have breakfast for dinner. Oh, my yeah. God. So I have, in fact, uh, I've always enjoyed Karen's music rounds, and I thought to myself, I've got to put together a music round of my own. Right. Um, and so to close this episode, I have, in fact, prepared Yay. a round of music for us. All Fleetwood Mac. And all the Fleetwood <laughs> Mac spectacular round. It's all Fleetwood Fleetwood Mac instrumentals, <laughs> and you have to tell me the year. <laughs> In fact, a theme uh, to all of this, and so I invite you to enjoy this round of music. I'm so happy because which... now I can finally play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to play the music round. Uh, and the name of this is Needle Drops. Needle Drops. Okay. Needle drops. All right. Okay. All right. I'm thinking record. Let's go. I'm going to need you guys to tell me the name of the artist. Okay. Okay. In this case, uh, the musical group. So here is number one. They say I love won't pay the rent. Before it's earned, our money's all been spent. Sunny and Cher? It is, in fact, Sunny Sunny and Cher. Cher. Yes. Okay. Number two. Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, indeed it is. Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell. Made famous in Pulp Fiction. Number three, name the group. And time goes by so slowly and time. I can never get the brothers straight. Is, it, is, Colin. It, is that the Righteous Brothers? It is, in fact, the uh, Righteous Brothers. Yes, yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's like, Everly Brothers. You're always like Everly Brothers, Isley Brothers, Righteous right. Brothers. <laughs> okay, question four. Name the band. Name the group. I told my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah. I know the song, but I don't. I, I yeah. can't. I don't know who it is. Uh, the the musical group is Kenny Rogers and the First Edition. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, that's um, not just Kenny Rogers. <laughs> okay. Question five: Name the singer. Live six foot, seven foot, eight foot, bunch. Harry Belafonte. Yes, Harry Belafonte. All right. 
For the sixth and final clip, remember there is a theme attached to all of these. Name the band. Colin. Uh, that's uh, Derek and the Dominoes. Indeed, it is Derek and the Dominoes, uh, the piano Layla. outro of Layla. Yes. Oh, I know I, some of these songs are used in movies. Is it? I, I think it's not just movies, but is it that they're all used in dance scenes in movies? No, um, not, not. It is, it is not, in fact, they're used in dance scenes in movies, but that, in fact, these are used in specific scenes, specific famous scenes uh, in movies. Right. So now we can go back over them and you can tell me exactly what was happening in what was the movie and what was happening. What, what's the movie? Is it Groundhog Day? It is, in fact, Groundhog oh, Day. Oh, right, right. It's this on the radio when he wakes up in the morning, these are, right? These are, those, morning. these are those things where it's like, oh my god, I can't hear this song anymore without thinking of that scene in the movie. Right. It's the alarm clock it's song. It's when he wakes up in the right. morning and yes. it's playing on the yes. radio in, right, yes. in Punxsutawney. Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell, Karen, Pulp, you already said, was... Pulp Fiction, the dancing between... At uh, Jack Rabbit Slim. Mm-hmm. Yes. Between Uma Thurman and John Travolta. What scene made Unchained Melody popular again? Ghosts. Ghosts. Yes. With the yes. pottery. Yes. Yeah. The and the making sexy, out. Sexy pottery. Sexy pottery, pottery Patrick time. Patrick Swayze, Ghost, right. and Demi Moore. Yeah. Indeed. I just dropped in to see what condition my Penny Rogers in the first edition, I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. That I think is the toughest one on here. Man, I can't place it. Uh is it a Tom Cruise movie? It is in fact the tripping scene in the Big Lebowski. Oh, really made that yes, song popular again. Yes, yes. Yes. And again, probably a lot of these movies caused these songs to pick up in terms of popularity because the it wasn't just that it was used uh underneath what was going on, it was that the song itself was so kind of high up in the viewer's consciousness, like this song is happening, right? Mm-hmm. right. And that juxtaposition of what was going on mm-hmm. with the song itself. Anybody want to venture a guess on the famous movie scene uh, that Harry Belafonte's Dale was part of? Oh, I know that. Beetlejuice. Yes, in fact. Finally, um, Derek and the Domino's Layla was used to great effect in the closing scenes of Colin. Uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Good <laughs> I know it. Oh, <laughs> your name is Colin now? I'm trying to spread the love around a little bit, Karen. Karen's just so excited she gets to play in the music round. <laughs> a needle drop, by the way, is the term for when a movie director drops in a well-known song specifically into the movie um, in order to create that kind of jarring effect with, with the audience. Oh. oh. That's a good term. That was Thanks a good music round. That was my first playable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, the listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot about bagels and also yeah. the the dramatic rivalry between Post and Kellogg over Pop-Tarts and cereal. 
and Aunt Jemima. <laughs> and what is more likely to shred the roof of your mouth, Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch. or a pin? <laughs> <laughs> Both of which you can find in a cereal box. <laughs> Captain Horatio Magellan. I love that name. I love that. You can find us on Zoom Marketplace on iTunes, on Stitcher, and also on our website, which is goodjobbrain.com. Don't forget to join us on Twitter and Facebook. And I guess I'll see you guys next week. See you at the movies. Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.